When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rocking with the best. BA, I see you, big fella. Y'all know my pedigree. Prodigal son. Welcome to another edition of the Nothing But an App State podcast. I'm here, Brett Strelo, as always. Adam Witten, as always. I said the podcast name right. I said your name right. I'm rolling. Good start here, Adam. That's a great start, Brett. Okay. Well, it's it's only downhill from here, but congratulations. I think that's now three podcasts in a row where you've nailed the title. Yes. <laughs> we, we have a very low bar to clear in terms of the accomplishments that we celebrate on this podcast. The title's so long, it can be it's a little bit of a tongue twister. So um, we're excited to be back with you guys in February, the shortest month. Time is running out on February. Um, it's an important month, whether it's App State Sports or just, I don't know, being just being a good partner, Adam, um, at home. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll go through some of the um, the things, the, this and that of App State Athletics is we're coming off a huge weekend of just how are things in your world, buddy? <laughs> They're good, man. You know, we're, we're recording this here on President's Day, but, but you and I are, are clearly doing some work. Um, you know, I don't, some people observe President's Day, some schools are out, some schools are not, some offices are closed. I know it's a, it's a federal holiday. So, you know, banks and post office and everything else, they're, they're closed, but uh, a lot of people still have to go to work today. But, you know, in terms of the things that, that we've seen, some big moments going back to through the month um, that, that we've, that we've experienced since our last recording, we had Super Bowl Sunday and we'll touch on that a little bit later on with another app state, former app state player on a, on a roster of an NFL team that was in the Super Bowl with Akeem Davis Gaither and the Bengals. But you had that, that little dovetail of Super Bowl Sunday, right into Valentine's day. That, that, that can be a tough little back-to-back for people, right? What, how, how did you experience all of that as a, uh, you're, you're, are you still considered a newlywed or when, when does that title officially go away? I try to live my life. Like we have the excitement of newlyweds. No. Um, <laughs> I got, I got married in August of 2020. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that I'm always the best when you live, when you work in sports, sometimes there are some challenges to <laughs> your life outside of sports. Uh, yeah. 
I think I tried to do some, some nice sweet things, maybe that Friday leading up, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. A lot of my time was spent in varsity gym for wrestling. Uh -huh. I think Monday night, I mean, you don't, I think I crashed from a long weekend. Like, I think I'd literally got home from work and took a nap and woke up in time to at least spend some non-work time with, with Beth. But, um, you know, we didn't go out to eat anywhere special or anything like that. We had some tacos, which are always delicious, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know that I'm the best, not from a lack of effort or desire to, but maybe that's that certain day at this time of year was, was a little rough for me. I, hopefully maybe you have some better anecdotes than I do. <laughs> yeah. So it, it sounds like Valentine's day is not a, it's not a, a huge deal to you guys. I mean, you, you'll try to do something, but it's not a, it's, it's not a big holiday. It's not a big sell. It's not a, uh, you don't make uh, you know, big pomp and circumstance around it. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think half birthdays was, were introduced in my life through, through this. So maybe even more important than real birthdays, celebrating a half birthday. That's, that, that's a big time thing. Yeah. Well, Valentine's day for, for my wife and I, it's, 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 it's not, we don't make a big deal about it, but we do have a, a tradition that, that we like to keep. Um, so every year on Valentine's day, we have dinner at the same place every year on February 14th. And that place is five guys, burgers and fries. <laughs> the, the pinnacle of romance, correct? So this tradition started several years ago. Um, trying to think of the exact year. It's probably been at least seven years. No, no, probably more like nine years when, when this started nine years ago. So we had always tried to go out. My, my wife and I have been married for, for almost 14 years now. And on Valentine's Day, when we were dating and when we were married, we always tried to go out to a nice dinner. We'd find a good local restaurant, um, make a reservation, go out, have a good dinner. And, and that'd be pretty much it. I mean, there'd, there'd be flowers and cards and maybe some candy, but, but nothing, nothing big beyond, um, beyond a nice dinner. Well, on Valentine's Day, nine years ago, I procrastinated because I'm a, a notorious procrastinator and neglected to make a dinner reservation. So, um, all of our favorite restaurants were totally booked. Couldn't find anything. So we said, all right, well, let's, let's just find something, something that's not going to be too crowded where we can go in and, and just have a nice dinner. So we go over and there was this really good sushi place. I, I love, I love sushi. Uh, my wife does not, but they had a pretty, uh, a good variety on their menu where they could, where they could, where she could find something. So we said, all right, well, we've been wanting to try this place. Let's go, let's go try that. That'll be our Valentine's dinner. We get there and there's a sign on the door that the, uh, the people that were running the restaurant had been evicted. Just a sign. They've been evicted. Places closed down. And so now all of a sudden we we don't have a reservation. The place where we went to go was completely empty because the people that were running the restaurant and leasing out the space had been evicted. All right. So at this point, we're just like, we're, we're really hungry. We've got to find something. We're starting to get hangry. You know, that, that feeling where you just get, you know, now we're starting to, to, uh, snap at each other and really short temper because we're just hungry and we need to eat. So right across the street, there's a five guys, burgers and fries. And we just kind of looked at each other. We're like, yeah, let's do it. 
So we go over there. We have a nice, delicious, greasy dinner. And after that, we just kind of decided, you know what? Let's just make this our Valentine's Day tradition. So ever since then, every Valentine's Day, we either go to eat at Five Guys or we bring it home. Uh, one year we had to bring it home because our babysitter called in sick. So we had to go, I had to go pick it up and bring it home. And, you know, during the pandemic, we had to kind of do it as takeout, but that is our Valentine's day tradition. And really the only time that I eat five guys all year, but February 14th, you better believe that I'm, I'm gorging myself on double cheeseburger with bacon and all the trimmings and, and some, you know, greasy fries. And yeah. Uh, so I, I can, it's only been a few days since we, we did that and mm, I'm already looking forward to next Valentine's day. That surprised me. I think I assumed there was probably like a first date story or nope. something like that behind that, but it really just came from being a poor planner. <laughs> really, really came from me screwing up our plans on Valentine's day. And it turned into a, to a nice little tradition after that. Well, it's good to know that, you know, if we travel to say a Memphis for an Arkansas state game or, you know, Austin for Texas state that we put Joey Jones or someone else in charge of, don't put me place. in charge. <laughs> correct. That's correct. Um, I can pick a place where we should go to eat, but in terms of planning a time and making reservations and, and all the, the things you need to do to actually go to eat at these places. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the one to put in charge of that. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into some more food related items. Um, later on in this episode, we our interviews, uh, this month, we've got Sarah Rumley Noble, new app state volleyball coach. And we talked to Amy Haywood, new women's soccer coach last month. So naturally in February, we'll introduce um, another head coach uh, to this audience with a little bit more of an in-depth um, look at kind of their background and just their approach to taking that job. We had a real good conversation with Sarah and then Tony Gravely, an app state wrestling alum. Um, he's making, making a splash in the UFC world. Uh, you may have seen he was, on ESPN um, earlier this month and picked up a big win. So um, doing great things and you know, gaining some notoriety for that. Um, so we'll get to those interviews. We'll have our let's, you know, that's money dude segment, our last one, best one. Um, but we got a lot to ground to cover in this episode, Adam, because it was, you know, we decided we were trying to figure out when we were going to record this and, you know, we've considered it last weekend. I think you made the good call. Like, you know, let's wait till Monday and see how, see how the weekend shakes out and, Man, that was a good call. Uh, you know, baseball with a huge series win at Campbell. You know, um, you know, if you don't know how good Campbell is, you know, I know we, we talk about it a little bit more, um, but just you know, a great program that's made NCAA regionals in top thirty, top forty, depending on rankings, stuff like that. So great start to the season for Kermit Smith and his crew. The softball coming off a three and one weekend down at Presbyterian. Um, you know, wrestling finishing an unbeaten SoCon dual season with a shutout of Presbyterian, you know, basketball too, with, you know, the doubleheader with the women with a great win, an impressive win over Texas State. And um, to do the kind of things they've done, I think uh, seven and three in the conference. And that's followed by a senior day win for the men's basketball, decisive. Like that game was never in doubt against a good South Alabama team with a great crowd at varsity gym, especially on senior day with so many veterans on that team. So, um, that is, that's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'll do our best to do it, but you know, let's start off with a, that's money dude and get right into it. That's money dude. All right, Adam, I'm going to touch base more. We, we mentioned the, the big baseball victory at Campbell, which, you know, Campbell's a team that's made three straight NCAA regionals and come close, really close to the supers a couple of times. I think there was a, a Raleigh stay where they were really close. I think they were in Starkville, Mississippi last year. And one of those things where they start off hot win and just, 
you know, can't quite get that last victory to advance and, you know, got a lot of, you know, high level prospects for draft reasons. And just it's been, you know, that top 40, top 30 team in the country for a couple of years running. And, you know, when you make an NCAA regional as an at-large team, that, that says a lot. And so, you know, go to Campbell, open the season on Friday, get shut out against a, a power arm, um, really good pitching staff and, then bounce back and get a big win. Xander Hamilton on the mound on Saturday, the transfer from Virginia Tech, and then get a lead on Sunday. Campbell comes back and takes the lead, and then Hunter Bryson with a huge two-run homer. Um, Trey Jernigan, uh, transfer from UNC Asheville, comes in and shuts the door in the ninth. Let's take two out of three. I feel like I've even heard some people just kind of going in the way back where, you know, Duke's on the schedule uh, for that Tuesday night game, but when you think about big App State baseball series wins – some people, you know, the LSU in 2012 obviously stands out. But if you start thinking of since then, this is in the conversation for it. Yeah, and, and Campbell was highly regarded, I think, just outside the the top 30 or maybe we, even within the top 30 in, in some of the preseason rankings. But you're right. When, when you play in a conference like the Big South, which is, you know, a, a mid-major at best in terms of baseball, for that to, to, to be good enough where you make it not be a one-bid league, where you're that good in the regular season that you lose in the tournament, but you still get an at-large bid. I think they were a three-seed in the regionals last year. Made it all the way to the regional final and lost to the eventual national champion, Mississippi State. And I thought Kermit Smith summed it up well when, when he posted a quote, or the App State Baseball account posted a quote from, from, from Kermit um, after the series win. You know, they like you said, they get, they get beat pretty soundly with a power arm on the mound for Campbell in that first game on Friday. And he said, you know, there were half the teams in the country started out 0 and one, and there probably weren't many of them that came back and still won the series. And to do that on the road against a really good opponent, that is such a great way to start the season. And, and then, you know, you mentioned this, we're recording this prior to, and, and the podcast should be out, before the game against Duke, but there, there's another opportunity to get a good non-conference win um, because, look, they're going to have chances. They're going to play teams like Duke. They're going to play teams like South Carolina. And Ab's got a chance to build a pretty good non-conference resume to where if they play well enough in conference in a really good Sunbelt conference, um, you know, they could be in the conversation. When, when the end of the year rolls around. So great start to the season. And yeah, let's see if we can keep it going in the, uh, in the game against Duke and Durham on, on Tuesday night, a ranked Duke opponent, top 25 team. So uh, Brett, my, my that's money dude is going to go to women's basketball. Um, I don't feel like there's been enough celebration around what this team has accomplished so far and and the season's not over yet they still have two games at home to come against the alabama schools this week thursday and saturday but you know i recall visiting with angel elderkin before the season started on our football pregame show and we were talking about how they just completely had to remake their approach and their strategy this year because of the personnel that they had. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that their two leading scorers, Priest Stanley and Laney Gosnell, uh, were not coming back. So their only two double-figure scorers from last year were not going to be returning, and only two starters were coming back off of last year's team. So she looked at the roster at hand, and she designed – the way the team was going to a play around her personnel. And 
look at and 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 what do you know this team is sitting there with a winning conference record at 7 and 3 13 and 10 overall and they've got two more games here to close the season uh before the sunbelt tournament so I, I just want to applaud coach elderkin Janae Sanders, who's a tremendous leader of that women's basketball team and, and, and that whole squad for, for coming into this year when they had so much to try to make up for from a year ago and have put together an outstanding regular season. Let's see if they can close it out. Go support them. These are the only two basketball games, regular season basketball games left at the home center this year, Thursday at six o'clock against Troy Saturday at two o'clock against South Alabama uh, before the Sunbelt tournament in Pensacola. So uh, hats off to women's basketball for what's been a a strong season um, considering that there were probably some, some of the, prognosticators in women's basketball around the Sunbelt that didn't think this team was capable of something like this. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they were slow to get off the ground with their conference schedule, some delays in that, but since they've, they've really started rolling, I mean, you know, Janae Sanders has a huge game winner um, in that comeback at Coastal Carolina. I mean, Alexia yeah. Lesh, if you haven't seen her play, it's just, you know, with her size and her skill level to be able to be an inside outside threat and the way teams struggle to defend her of pick and pop threes and just what she has added to the to the tables to transfer from Seton Hall has been huge. And, you know, Michaela Porter, double-double machine, kind of that deal. And so, yeah, like you said, Thursday, Saturday, two more opportunities as they try to close the regular season in strong fashion. So that's our That's Money Dude segment. Bailey Welch, always inspired and felt like good time to add some baseball in there. Um, we'll get to our interviews shortly. Um, you know, I just, we, we talked about some of the successes over the weekend. If you want to hit on spring football real quick, Adam, just, Mm -hmm. you know, that started in early February. Um, certainly some, you know, a lot of newcomers, a lot of returners, certainly the cornerback room, wide receiver room, a lot of new faces there and, you know, some, some staff changes as well. So it's been an eventful February, but it's been fun to see, you know, whether it's Lawrence Dossie working with these young receivers or, um, just all that working together. It's been some chilly days at the rock, but yeah, fun to see football being played out there again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been interesting. And and certainly we wish all the best to Frank Ponce and, and Nick Cardwell who departed from, from the staff and, um, and, and, and Pat Washington as well from the wide receivers room. You mentioned coach Dossie, who's now coaching wide receivers. And, you know, by the time people listen to this, we'll see if, if we have any sort of official announcement on replacements for, for coach Ponce and coach Cardwell. But I, I know what has been interesting is I, I was out at the, the practice last Thursday, right before the uh, home, the home basketball game against Troy. And that was the game. That was the day where it rained pretty much all day and all night. And the team got out there and practiced in the rain. Wasn't that cold of a day. It was just a steady rain all throughout practice from five to 7 PM. And boy, they were, they were getting after it. Uh, the thing about spring is that, you know, you, 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 you have some guys that aren't practicing during the spring because of injuries and things like that, that hold them out. But Saw the quarterbacks out there. Chase Bryce looked great. Got to see the youngster Ryan Berger out there throwing the ball around. Uh, the young receivers ha- have been fantastic. I-, I thought what was most interesting that that I got to watch was um, with Coach Cardwell now at Louisville. Uh, Sean Clark has been in there mixing it up with the offensive line. He's kind of taken over the the interim offensive line role during spring football, and he looks like he's having a blast with that. Um, you know, that that's the stuff that you would watch when when he was the when he was the offensive line coach under Coach Satterfield and Coach Drinkwitz. And so getting him a chance to mix it up there with the offensive line was really fun to watch. And, and I think he's really enjoying spring football. And 
the, the energy has been tremendous and man, it's, it's, it's fun to watch them this time of year because, you know, they're working on fundamentals. They're working on things that, that they can apply just from a basic standpoint during, during the season. And you're not working on installing game plans and scouting. It's just, it's just flat out scrimmaging, going up against one another, working on different fundamentals, throwing, catching, tackling, blocking, all the different things that, that this team never takes for granted. So, but the energy is fantastic. They know there's a very limited time that they're going to be out there. Hasn't been too cold at times, but you know, this will, uh, they're out there throwing the ball and handing it off in very wet conditions. So if we get one of those in the fall, you can't say that they never took an opportunity to, to practice with those, with those wet conditions. So, uh, yeah, hopefully more to come on spring football. And if, when we get new coaches installed, maybe we'll bring you some, some conversations with some of the new folks on the coaching staff. But, but for now it's been fun to see guys like Sean Clark move over and, and get back to, to, his, his old love of just coaching up the offensive line and getting after him as they're doing the sled tackling and, and going up one-on-one against each other. Yeah. They always have some drills where the defensive line comes down to the offensive lines area and they go head to head. It's a pretty intense spirited uh, session where the first time, you know, see coach Clark, you it's party time. It's yeah. party time. Yeah. <laughs> when those guys run down him kind of like, you know, engaging with Jordan Earl where they're kind of tussling a little bit in a friendly, but, but spirit away. But, um, yeah, it's, I know, I think fans always want, you know, like, Oh, who looks good? Who looks, the, you know, and it's hard. It's, it's February and what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, it's been fun seeing some of those new receivers, you know, yeah. make plays and more prominent things, the Christian Wells and just, you know, you could rattle off a long list of names and the young running backs have looked good. That's, you know, I think always a deep area for App State, just, you know, between reps and health and all those things, you need a lot of bodies at that spot. And I've, I've been impressed. I mean, just I mentioned Jordan Earl, just the growth of he's always been a vocal <laughs> a young man on the defensive mm-hmm. line, but just his, you know, maturity. And uh, it's fun to actually sit down and talk to him about just real life things. He's kind of got this, you know, two sides of just this fierce competitor, but he's really fun to talk to. Um, off the field and just the way he's grown and the way people talk about that and the opportunity for some young defensive line, whether it's DeAndre Dingle Prince has been moving around. Like, you know, you can yeah. see him at multiple spots this year and just um, some opportunities there. So that's a little bit of a look at his spring football. Um, Adam, you want to go ahead and get into our first interview with uh, App State volleyball coach, Sarah Rumley Noble. Yeah, she's, uh, we really enjoyed getting to know her. I mean, she blew a lot of people away with her introductory press conference super smart, very personable, a foodie, which, you know, she fits in well with people like you and me, um, who the thing we always try to figure out when we're traveling with football is all right, where are we going to eat the night before? And it's, it's, it, it, it is a very strategic play. And so we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, but the interesting thing about her, there's a lot of interesting things about her is she, she's a legend in, in college volleyball. She really is. She played at Kentucky. She was player of the year. Uh, freshman of the year. She was recently named two years ago an SEC legend um, for her play in volleyball. And she's coached at some big time programs. So the next logical step in her fastly and her rapidly rising career was head coach. And the thing that we made sure to, to ask her about is, you know, you were, you were a pretty highly regarded rising star in this profession from a coaching perspective why was app state the right choice, the right fit for your first D one head coaching job. And, uh, it was kind of a no brainer for her. So she, she really was blown away by a lot of the things that we love and appreciate about this place. So, uh, 
lot to talk about with our new volleyball coach. So now let's jump into it with Sarah Rumley Noble. All right. Well, we're excited to visit with another new head coach here on campus, our new volleyball coach, Sarah Rumley Noble. We're talking with her in her office overlooking a gray, drizzly, not snowy winter sky outside on a, on a February day. It's it's abnormally warm here in Boone, but look, you, you came in right in the thick of the winter, and so this is no surprise to you. you. You've been around the Southeast and as far up as North Carolina before in your career, So, but tell us early on just your early impressions of being in Boone for the very short time that you've been installed here in the high country. So it's it's pretty it's pretty funny when I came on my interview it was the first snow of the year. And so I'm like, okay. But I was walking around campus and I'm like, it actually doesn't feel that cold because the sun was shining, it had snowed the day before, and I was like, wow, this is this is a, this is good. I can get used to this, you know, because if it gets cold where I'm coming from in Louisiana because of the humidity, it is like really cold. So um, weather's been great, but I got, I, when I actually moved here for the first time was when we had that crazy snowfall, 18 inches. I don't know. Was that what they were saying? It was 12 inches. I'm calling it 18 yeah, cause I, I had drifts of snow. It'll grow every, every month or so. <laughs> most snow, most snow, <laughs> snow forecasts in the state of North Carolina will say we're going to get between two and 200 inches. Of snow. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. You can't go wrong. <laughs> exactly. But no, I, I've loved Boone so far. It's been it's been amazing. The Everywhere I've lived, it's always been about the people that make your experience and the people in this department and the people in the city that I've gotten to meet have been unbelievable. And obviously the beauty in Boone is something that's special, um, but the people make it even more special. So I'm loving it. I feel like I'm super blessed. I keep telling everybody, man, I, it, Boone's a spot. You need to check it out. It is a <laughs> spot. <laughs> well, it's not rare to snow here. It's rare, at least in my time here, Adam, for it to not melt for as long as it did here. So I don't think that should be the expectation for what, um, I don't know if you had any, if you got stuck with, you know, a driveway or a street that you had to, you know, plow out yourself or whatever. I have a bunch of stairs that lead up to the little house that I'm staying in temporarily. And I shoveled quite a bit of it and it was good. And I was just shocked to see the bulldozers that remove the snow and put them in the back of semis. That was something new for me. So that was fun to see. I'm like, this is serious. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's talk about, um, we'll, we'll ask some questions about your, your life outside of volleyball, but in terms of your career path and being in here, your last year playing at Kentucky was, was what year? Oh, uh, nine. Oh, nine. Okay. So you're, 12 years removed and you're a division one head coach. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good rise. Now you've been at some big programs and different assistant positions, but as, as you've looked back at the path of where you've come, and I know you probably did some reflection when you were named the head coach here at Appalachian, but now being at a division one head coaching position, at still a very young age. You know, how, how do you reflect back on, on some of the journeys in your career so far? Yeah, it's been it's been a really cool journey for sure. And I've been super fortunate that, you know, as I was, you know, deciding what my next steps were in every job that I was headed towards, it was all about how can I learn and grow and get better in my career? Which leaders do I need to be around to learn from? What are new things that I can see along the way? And so every head coach that I've had the privilege of working for has taught me something. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool because there's even now where, you know, we're running practices and there's drills that I've taken from, from all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, that you just kind of have this, um, you know, you put everything together and make it your own from all of the things that you've gotten to see. Um, but 
I think for me, the biggest thing is just being around great leaders in my journey um, and that have just really shown me the pathway and given me freedoms to, you know, have have my hand in a lot of things so that I did feel prepared to step into this role. Um, But leadership is super important. And I've been around some really amazing ones in my journey. Yeah, who are some of those people, and I know it's hard to probably name them yeah. all, but that have really kind of shaped just your philosophy and how you kind of go about your business? Absolutely. There's a lot, for sure. Uh, I mean, Craig Skinner at Kentucky, I was his first recruiting class, and he's still there. They just won a national championship last year, so got, getting to play for him, um, he's a big part of why I decided to get into coaching, just because I had a great college experience as a player, and I wanted to be able to recreate that for other people um, that were able to have the opportunity to play in college. Um, Ken Merzek. Um, he was one of the coaches that I worked for that really gave me my start, took a chance on me. I was playing professionally in France, um, and he had an opening at the University of North Texas. And um, we kind of decided that I was going to come in March. And I had to finish out my contract through the middle of May. Mm. But he was willing to wait and just say, hey, yeah, we won't have an extra assistant in the gym until you can come and start on June 1. So that was really cool. I owe a ton to him for sure. Um, then I at Arkansas, I actually worked for two coaches, um, for uh, Robbie Paliza, who was my setting coach in college, um, and also for Jason Watson, who um, he, he was just an unbelievable leader um, of just getting to see the way that, that he led his team was different than other leaders that I had seen. And then most recently, Fran Flory, um, she's one of the best of the best. She actually recently just retired from coaching, um, but she had been in for a very long time as one of the most respected coaches in the country. Just the way that she treats her players, the way that um, she cares for them and that it's more about volleyball. It's about building people. Um, And that was a huge reason why I went to work for her because I wanted I wanted her to be able to lead me, especially as a female head coach. Um, I hadn't had the opportunity to work with other females and see what that looks like mm-hmm. um, and how they lead teams that may be different from a male leading, um, leading women. Um, and so that was hugely important for me. And um, I still talk to her pretty often. And, you know, I'll be able to call her up. She's checking in on me and I'm calling her to see what's going on with her family. And, um, but she's, she's family, you know, and she'll always be someone that I can call for anything. I'm curious, can, can you elaborate on what you just said a little bit, which is, you know, you don't see the reverse where you see females coaching men's sports, but you do see quite a few examples of men being a head coach for a women's sport. Can you explain a little bit how those differences work in terms of if it's a, if it's a male leading a female sport or it's a female, like your position leading a female sport? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because for me, even in my journey growing up, I was coached by all men. Because at that time, as I reflected back, Title IX became such an issue where, you know, the people in my era, their moms weren't able to play college sports or weren't able to put really play sports going, growing up a ton. So it was always the dads that were coaching. And now, think, thankfully, because of Title IX and women being able to have more opportunities, there are more women in the sport. Um, and so I didn't even really think anything of it until I got further in my career and realized, wow, if I want to be a head coach one day, I need to see what it's like for me to lead. Um, you know, and I think that there there's times when a male head coach can be holding someone accountable, giving feedback, and the response from from a from a woman player is, "Oh yeah, they're just coaching me up." But there can also be times where, from a from a female to a female, sometimes it can feel a little more personal, hmm. even though I'm just holding you accountable, because there's sometimes these um, just expectations of like a motherly figure of, "Oh." Like that just, it just feels a little different. Um, and so I can see that sometimes it doesn't always hold true, but just messages are just received differently sometimes. Um, and I, I've seen that, I have felt that and, um, 
I really wanted to learn from the best of what that looks like. I was gonna. You mentioned your you know, professional career playing in France. Did you were you there long enough? Like, did you have did you pick up being able to speak French <laughs> at all, or did you were you there short enough that you didn't really have to worry about that? Or? So I was there for just a year, <laughs> and um, my club was incredible. They actually paid for us to go to French class twice a week, which was really cool because I was in a bigger city. I was one of in the bigger cities of France. I was in Nantes, France. N a n t e s. They you know drop the s at the end when you're pronouncing French. But um, we had a bunch of professional professional sports in the area and so we had French class with the foreign basketball players handball players um, gosh there were some other sports men's volleyball we had in the city and so it was really this unique experience of going to French class and getting to meet other athletes from all countries across the world English was the language that was spoken to teach French so you know I'm with Slovenians and Slovakians that are speaking English to learn French um, but it was it was really cool it was more of what I picked up was more of the conversational how do I order food at a restaurant how do I go to a store and buy clothes how do I go to a grocery store and know what I'm actually purchasing those types of things and I could understand it a lot better than I could speak it but don't remember much now it's pretty bad <laughs> It's, I wish I did. Well, my motive was going to be to see if you could say, today I give my all for Appalachia State. In I could not. And, but I wanted to see, I wanted to take you down that line to see if that was even going to be a fair question. So. Absolutely not. I all can right. pick up laissez le bon temps roulé from my time in, in Louisiana, which means let the good times roll, yeah. but that's about it. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm curious about when, when you were at LSU and you're in a position where the next the next step reasonably was was potentially going to be a head coaching position based on where you had risen in your career. So I don't know how much you thought about it prior to actually going after a job like Appalachian, but as you, if you did, and as you thought about, if I'm going to take this next step, because you were, you were rising pretty fast in your career, you know, what did you look for to say, this is the type of opportunity that would be perfect in terms of taking that next jump to be, a head coach because you've coached at some big time programs. You played at a big time program and, and you're coming to, to a rising program that's rising in terms of conference affiliation, in terms of resources at Appalachian. But for this to be that landing spot as a first time head coach, what went into your thought process in terms of this is the right fit? Yeah, it's my brain always goes to recruiting mm-hmm. um, because recruiting is the lifeblood of any program. And so first and foremost is, is it a campus and is it is it a school that I can recruit athletes to? Um, and so you, you walk around, you look and see what does campus look like? What are the facilities? What are the resources? And obviously it's a slam dunk with what we have here. So checked my box right away. All right, recruiting. I, I for sure think that we could um, do do some pretty good work in the recruiting world and attract, attract people to this place. Um, second is just, you know, having a place that my husband and I can, um, make it home and it feels like family and the people in the area and athletic department, um, with support within the athletic department where we can bring our family into, but also be a part of the bigger picture of what the athletic department is. Um, and so that was really huge and getting to meet people on my interview and, you know, even through, um, the interview process of, you know, getting to talk to the committee and those types of things, and then getting to meet Doug and seeing his vision, um, for where we're headed. Um, and just his excitement about volleyball and the sport of volleyball, like that's huge. Like volleyball is 
a super growing sport in our in our country, and it's a really cool time to be in the volleyball world and in the volleyball landscape. Um, and I, I really feel like there's going to be an investment here that we can have some success, and I, I'm excited for that. But it checked all those boxes. Great place to live. Yeah. I think we can, you know, recruit people here. And it's always been a place I've been intrigued by. I coached for two years at Wake Forest, and I've always I've always been intrigued. You know, so when I got the call, I was like okay, like, let's think more about this for sure. Um, I I got a quick follow-up, Brett, because I remember having this conversation with Shelly Horner from softball where the the 2021 Women's College World Series drew record numbers in terms of viewership, and softball seemed like it was a sport, and it is a sport that is growing in popularity, and a lot of that has to do with the format of the sport, the pace, the the amount of time, and I found myself, I, I actually ended up watching some of the NCAA championships and seeing Wisconsin's run to the NCAA title. And I didn't consider myself a a huge volleyball fan, but I really enjoyed it. It's an enjoyable watch. It's a great experience. There's so much emotion. There's action. It moves quickly. Can you speak to how volleyball as a sport is growing just in terms of people, once they, once they find it for the first time, they want to watch more of it because of it, it is it is something that fits into the way that people like to consume their entertainment now, right? Yeah, for sure. And right now, volleyball is the most participated sport um, among women in in the country. Oh wow! Okay. It's the most participated. It is. It's growing. I mean, we're going to go recruiting this weekend, and we're going to be in a convention center, a massive convention center downtown Kansas City. There'll be over a hundred volleyball courts set up inside the convention center. Wow! And there will be probably ten tournaments just like that going on this this weekend across the country. Like that's the size that we're talking about of growth. Um, but I think that um, you know when you watch it on TV, uh, you see the athleticism. You see, you see the movement. You see how fast-paced it is. And honestly, kudos to people who have really worked for a long time to grow the sport. Um, they've made some really strategic changes through the year. You know, back in the day, we used to do side-out scoring, where you only scored a point when your team was serving. Right. They changed that to rally scoring, which made it more consumable for an audience that's watching on TV. It put it into a, a time box where we knew we could have a two-hour time slot for volleyball. Um, and all of those little changes that they've made, they've really they've been really wise in that from rule changes and stuff like that so that people can understand. But I think people get in and they realize the athleticism, they realize the pace. There's always something going on. You get excited The you know, volleyball is high energy people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people get the, the teams, every, everybody always jokes with me. Why are, why are people celebrating when they maybe just made an error? And <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of just the psyche of it, the energy of how much momentum can go into the game. But I think if viewers tune in, and they watch it on TV, they're like, oh, wow, I want to watch more. But even more so, if you step into the gym mm-hmm. and if, if you step into Holmes and you see us play, you're going to say, wow, I didn't realize how fast-paced that was, the environment that can be created. Um, and, and that's what we hope being here. We, we really want to um, involve the whole community of Boone and have people come see us and, and see what volleyball is all about and why it's growing in the country as a whole because it's a pro- pretty special time for our sport, and we hope people jump on board with us. I brought this up during your introductory press conference but it struck me how often you talked about pace um just being an important thing that's that's something that you focus on and as you start to you know take those first steps with your team what does that look like or how do you 
that that importance on pace and that that energy how do you kind of implement that with the things that you're teaching your squad absolutely on day one i gave two rules um for kind of gym culture rule number one is we're going to run everywhere we go so there's that pace piece (laughs) rule number two is we were gonna we implemented a three second rule something i picked up from fran flory being at lsu of you should be saying something every three seconds that you're in the gym we shouldn't just be mutes we should be empowering somebody we should be encouraging someone we should be communicating calling the ball whatever it may be Uh, but those are the two rules that I that I implemented so you kind of get that pace from from the get-go it's a phrase that it gets thrown around a lot in sports like football and basketball which is dictating tempo right and volleyball sounds like absolutely different if you can dictate the tempo you can control the game a a little bit more I I don't I don't want to embarrass you but I'm gonna but I'm gonna bring it up (laughs) no this is nothing that's gonna necessarily embarrass you from a you're gonna be humiliated standpoint it's more I'm gonna ask you to to speak about your your success as a player (laughs) because I look over to my left in your office and I oh, see goodness. all of the awards and accolades. <laughs> I mean, you're a, you were an extremely accomplished college volleyball player, uh, freshman of the year, SEC player of the year. You're an SEC legend um, from, from your days at Kentucky. And, and I'm curious, as much as you're comfortable speaking on this topic, which is yourself and your <laughs> accomplishments, um, how much does it help when you are coaching a group of college players that they know that the the words are coming from somebody who has done this at the highest level in that sport? Yeah, I I mean I've been very fortunate throughout my career for sure, and I you know I think that because of my playing career, it's given me the opportunity to be sitting in a seat, and I don't ever take that for granted. Um, but I think from our athletes' perspective, I think there's just you step in the door, and there's a little bit of credibility, um, and I think that that's where where it helps from day one of, I'm not asking them to do anything that I didn't do myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm asking them to do hard things and grind through some stuff. And I know what that felt like. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of, of credibility there a little bit with them of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to listen. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep growing. Not that I do everything perfectly or know how to teach it all 100% correctly all of the time. Um, but, uh, I do think that they respect that a little bit, but also they don't, they don't even know half of that. They, <laughs> you know, they're just here to play volleyball and, yeah. you know, they, they, I, I know that they are excited about, you know, app state and being here. And I know that they've trusted McKinney and Doug from making the right hire and all of those types of things that they were probably gonna listen to anybody that yeah. was in this chair. <laughs> do you still have it? Do you still have it? The game? <laughs> well, I I will tell you, I was a setter and setting is very much like riding a bike <laughs> Okay. because you're, you have so many reps under your belt. It's one of those skills that you just have to rep out. It's like a basketball player being able to come back and probably shoot a free throw. Mm-hmm. Like you can do that well later in your career. Um, but last year at LSU, I had to play every day in practice. So, um, <laughs> okay. I, I, I was still playing just, we were down a setter and you know, so I was repping it out a little bit. Okay. Well, I'm going to have a selfish follow-up. That's really pretty city. Pretty silly. My, my wife was a pretty good volleyball player, not a division one legend or anything like that. But if we watch volleyball, I'm always yelling for back sets. I'm, I'm like this weird back set fanatic. I want to see them happen. All right, if, all right. if we ever play, I'm just, I'm just trying to do them at a higher rate than I should yeah. be I need I need some like confirmation that my love of the back set is either appropriate or Absolutely. maybe I need some pointers <laughs> on like the, what makes a great back set because I think I'm a little over the top with it uh, no I love it <laughs> okay. I love it first of all if you love the back set you should go watch European volleyball because okay. uh, your opposites your right side attackers the people that are receiving the back set they're the highest paid players overseas see that's what I told him and, and he didn't he, I told him that and he didn't listen I'm just kidding. <laughs> they value it okay. they value it over there more so than we do in America sometimes but um, 
No, I think that, you know, the job of a setter, I give this analogy a lot. Your setter in your system is your quarterback of your, of your offense in football. Um, and so their job is to make a play call. And you're running these different routes. You're trying to find your attackers into space of the opposing team's block. So you're running a play call that's going to create that a little bit. And now the setter's job is to hit the right receiver, right? I got these three options. I'm going to hit the receiver. And now it's the attacker's job to kill the ball. That's, it, that's volleyball in a nutshell from a football sense. So as a setter, you also have to be deceptive. You have to make sure that I'm not looking different when I'm setting one person from when I'm setting somebody else. So mm. that's the number one thing from delivering a good back set is do I look the same when I back set as I do when I front set? Um, so it's just, it's, it's decision-making. It's making sure you're choosing to run that play and running, run that back set at the right time um, from your quarterback and from your setter. Um, but it's also making sure that it's delivered well, it's deceptive um, and you know, I'm here giving hand motions. I know nobody on a podcast has seen my hand motions. <laughs> they can vi- theater of the mind. They can exactly. visualize it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's just delivering delivering a hittable ball that um, someone can score on, you know, ultimately. Well, basically the back set is the Matthew Stafford Super Bowl <laughs> no-look pass. I, I, I was going to yeah. use the analogy of it's, it, you're telegraphing a pass. You never want telegra- to telegraph a pass. Your eyes can sometimes tell the story or your emotion. I mean, scouting is so in-depth now that people can pick up on the, on the littlest detail Absolutely. that that you're doing different from one one situation to another. Absolutely. Um, so so tell us about the the lifestyle of being in the world of college coaching, especially for someone like you that has had some different stops along the way. Um, that's got to be difficult. Tell us, you know, some of the pros and cons of of getting to you know to rise in your career. You have to make different stops at different places, different geography. Um, how, how has that been on you and your family personally? Yeah. You know, it's, you have to be, you have to be willing to up and move and start your life over. I, you know, I, I remember a couple of years back, I was just really thankful that I have the personality that I do because it'd be really hard to go to a new place and make friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just reflecting on that and like, that's been something that has been a little bit easier for me in my journey of going into a new place and being able to go talk to strangers, like something I was thankful for, but you know, lifestyle, it, it it's crazy. It's a lot. You know, in the fall, we're constantly traveling. We're home every other weekend. We're on the road. You're picking up a couple of recruiting trips while you're in season, which is always hard because you're leaving your team, but you got to go protect what's next. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they've done a good job. We have a recruiting calendar that we're actually not allowed to go out off-campus recruiting from December through this upcoming weekend, so President's Day weekend. So we have a good chunk of time where we can just focus in on our team, which is nice. but with that comes, we open up between now through the end of April. And so we hit the ground running. And so we're going to be out, you know, one of us for sure will be out every single weekend. I'll be out a ton um, of just making sure that we're identifying the best talent and, you know, spreading the app brand across across our recruiting footprint. Um, and, you know, it just gets busy. You know, it gets busy. It's early mornings. We're practicing 6 to 8 a.m. So mm. we're in the gym at 530. You're up way earlier than that. And, you know, I get home and I'm, I'm crashing, you know, and in bed by nine. Um, (laughs) but you know, it's just a lot, but it's awesome. When we do have time off, none of us really know what to do with it. We don't know how to relax because it's just (laughs) go, go, go. But, um, you know, I was at a really amazing, 
uh, conference uh, symposium uh, last weekend of January. It's my third year going. It's the third year of it's called SOAR. It's all Division One women volleyball coaches. Mm. Um, and, you know, we just get in a room and we share ideas and, you know, we have different speakers come in and, you know, we were really as a group challenging the idea and really the speaker was challenging the idea of why is it that you tell your athletes that rest and recovery is something that is beneficial to performance yet as a coach, you never rest and recover. And you never take a second to breathe that you just grind it, grind it, grind it. Wouldn't you be better for your athletes if you took a moment to breathe? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's something that really stuck with me, but I've yet to fully find that time, <laughs> you know, a month in, maybe, maybe a year from now we'll have a better, yeah. uh, you know, I'll be able to take a three hour window of like, okay, this is the time to, sure. to be, to, you know, recover a little bit and be able to make sure that that I'm in a good spot so that I can lead my athletes well. Cause if I'm not, if I'm not in a good spot, then I can't be any good for them, you know, and they're going to really mimic their leaders. Um, so I take that, you know, I, it's really important for me that, that I'm good for them yeah. every day. We've talked about your career path a little bit. How did the time in Winston-Salem at Wake Forest either kind of give you an idea of, you know, 90 minutes down the road? Did, did it give you, and whether that comes into, hey, like recruiting North Carolina or any of those things, how did that kind of play into just kind of your overall familiarity and comfort level with Boone? Yeah, I think it, it definitely gave me a comfort level because I knew some of the key recruiting people that were in the area from this time. I was familiar with the clubs. I had heard all about Boone from my time at Wake, but I ever never actually made it up here. I just heard how amazing it was from literally every person. So I think that was part of the intrigue. And, you know, I always told people whenever they would ask about, you know, either of the Carolinas, and I would always say there's a reason why people retire in the Carolinas. You know, it's a great part of the country to live in. And um, so I definitely think there was a familiarity with, um, with North Carolina and not necessarily with Boone, but just the surrounding areas recruiting wise that, um, that helped a ton. And I guess um, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. We've had all staff meetings where, you know, recruiting can cross over to all, <laughs> yeah. all coaches where you're all sharing ideas. And, and you had, you know, you're good enough and strong enough in an area that, you know, you've even been recognized for some of the ideas you've had. And you don't necessarily have to go into like your, your spiel, your pitch <laughs> of all that steal stuff. All the, right. Share but, all the secrets. But just in general, maybe the approach you take um, that, you know, I think – a lot of people can share ideas of just kind of how seriously. If you're a Sun Belt volleyball coach. Please yes, pause yes. the <laughs> fast forward through the podcast right now. No, I'm kidding. You but, know, you know. I think that when you think about recruiting, it's figuring out, you know, what is our vision, what is our mission, what is our story to tell, um, so that when you're talking to athletes on the phone, that it's really clear. It's a clear line of communication from myself, from the rest of my staff, from our athletes, um, so that they know what this place is and that we can clearly and concisely convey that message. You know, and so. So, you know, in our all staff meeting, just being able to share with, hey, let, let's come up with what our story is. Let's pick each other's brains of what are we selling at App State? Where are we headed? Mm. What What is the Boone community as a whole? How do we best sell this? And, you know, recruiting is a ton. And it's I've been at my best as a recruiter when I've been able to share ideas with everybody in the department because everybody has great ideas. But so often we stay in our own little silos. And um, it's one of the things I love about the setup of the, the offices here in this building um, of just, I you know, I have to walk past Amy and Shelly and Meg every single day, mm -hmm. but when I get to my office. And so it's easy to pop in and ask a question. Um, and so I think we um, really can share in some of those ideas to make each, to make everybody better for the whole. But, um, you know, getting the creative people on board to think about how to best do this. You know, it's 
it's a recruiting. I, I never want to put a sales pitch together um, because I want to be real with, with what we are, with what we're about. I want our athletes to be 100% transparent of the good, the bad, and the ugly of what every day is like playing volleyball here. Um, mainly a lot of good, right? But, yeah. um, but we do need to, we do need to get our messaging clear so that we can convey those messages well to recruits. What made you nervous about taking the leap to being a head coach? I mean, you've had lots of coaching experience, lots of playing experience, but being the, the person who's in the top job of a program, that, that's a different responsibility. So what, what, what made you nervous about that? You know, you're the, the, deci- the final decision stops with you, which can be exciting, but I know that decision, f- f- decision fatigue can be a real thing mm. of like, I'm constantly making all of these decisions all of the time. And man, like when you're an assistant, you can give your ideas to your head coach. And at the end of the day, they get to go make, you know, make that decision. So I think a little, I was nervous about that. Just being, having to make sure that I'm making the right decisions. And, you know, I've just, you know, as I've gone through this process, I've just been, you know, really intentional about, I really want to shepherd this team well, and I want to guide them well, and I want to send them on the right paths. Um, and so not that I was nervous about that, but that I, I, I just don't take it lightly sure. um, of just making sure that I'm good every day and that where I'm headed every day, that they, that it is someone that they want to follow. Um, so those were, I think, kind of the biggest things, but a lot of excitement and um, I, I was ready. I've been ready. I just, you know, wanted to keep learning and growing and, you know, waiting for the right opportunity like we talked about. Well, I don't want to get you in trouble. I know with Coach Haywood, <laughs> she was even more brand new when we started throwing some oh, like no. how well you know Boone questions, and we can we can just pass on that if we need to. Or I don't <laughs> know how how, re- think, how ready people want <laughs> how ready you feel. Maybe I'll go maybe I'll go easy. Yeah, on oh, gosh, you if, didn't go so easy on some of those questions. But no, if you're saying they're easy, then I'm expected to get them right. Well, maybe I will give you not like oh, multiple gosh. like I t- quiz we'll, questions. I tell you what, we'll tell you how easy they were after you give your answer. Okay. And then, oh gosh. Well, after, <laughs> if I ask you like, what's your favorite restaurant? that's local to Boone that you've been to. There's no wrong answer to that. Right? See, I, I can share that. Yeah. I, um, you know, we, <laughs> Connor and I joke, my assistant, we joke, we had, a, um, we had interviews of other assistants that were coming on campus and we had some recruits that were on campus and we went to the same restaurants because it was the only ones that we knew. The local mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and our daily bread. That was, oh, and Boone Bagelry. Those were the only, only places we had really been in town since then. We've expanded. So uh, we've been to a few more, but I'm a foodie. Um, so I might need help from the people. Um, my husband and I, we do ABC date night and also I'm, I'm sharing ideas for anybody that wants to, <laughs> to try. Yeah. Um, so you start out, you find a restaurant that starts with the letter a, and then you go to a restaurant for the next date or the next time you go out to dinner with the letter B and you go all the way through the alphabet. So, oh, so it's not, it, it's not like a three stop like you do an appetizer at an oh that's a, a good idea main though course too. at a b dessert no at a c or no a- it forces you to try different restaurants instead of just getting wow. stuck in doing you know all of all of the same places so we're going to start that up i think my wife would love that because we play that game with our kids where if they're getting bored and they're starting to you know get on each other's nerves we'll say okay let's look out the window and find something that starts with a <laughs> now find something that starts with b that's and they awesome. just they get immersed in that game so that's interesting. Forces you to try new restaurants that you maybe wouldn't have tried. So okay. we're, we're, we're creating our list right now. So if anybody, for some of the harder levels, feel free to send them our way. Okay. So, so you can you, email me. If you're a foodie, not necessarily naming a particular restaurant, but if you are a foodie, what, what do you prefer? What type of food? Oh, gosh. Anything. I like to try it all. Um, yeah. But I like to ask the restaurant when I 
or I like to ask the waiter or waitress when I go to a restaurant, what's your favorite thing on the menu? Yeah. If you were um, eating here, what would yep, you have? Yep. Yeah. But no, my husband and I, we like a lot of different, a lot of different types of food. So we're willing to try it all. Indian, like why not? Like we love okay. Greek food. Is there the best Greek spot in town? There's over by the indoor tennis center. I've, I've never eaten there, but I hear that you can get good Greek food over by Deer Valley. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> We could go. We could yeah. go on for another hour, which yeah. is food recommendation. I love it. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing. That's D. D's taking. I don't. I'm trying to think of the actual name of the. Uh, yeah, that's neither yeah. here nor there. <laughs> See, we, we lucked out when we were leaving Baton Rouge. Uh, our one of our favorite Greek spots was Zorba's, which finding a Z is always a little challenging. Ooh, yeah. You know, so we lucked out with that. Yeah, now I'm trying to think of... Is there an X? Is there a Z? You know, it makes it hard. It's February, so I don't know if Adam's going to be much help after we get past F, because Five Guys is your, <laughs> your February staple. I'm, I'm, I'm talking a little inside baseball here. <laughs> a little bit. That's very inside baseball. <laughs> All right, so let, let's get back to... Should we continue with the quiz, I guess? I thought that I yeah. heard you guys this, long enough this, that okay, we were going to forget This about question it. that Brett asked, I thought was unfair when we talked to okay. Coach Haywood, because... Even uh, somebody who's been in Boone, in and out of Boone for as long as I have, had to really think about this. So there are two versions of Highway 105. Okay. There's Highway 105 bypass, and there's Highway 105 extension. Okay, I have no idea what you're talking about already. Okay. So. That's, that's, why, that's why I moved on from that. I was not going to – I wasn't even going to ask that. I just think it's an unfair question. and I, uh, Really, I asked it just to bring up the fact that you were being totally unfair to our guests. <laughs> and I, I think I'm pretty good with directions for the most part. But I will say I've just driven around Boone, and I have not paid attention to street signs or names of roads. So everybody I talked to is like, oh, well, what street were you on? I'm like, I don't know. I could just tell you how to get there. So I need yeah. to pay a little bit more attention to street Landmarks signs. Landmarks is how people yeah. normally – Say like, okay, are you at the intersection with the two-story Wendy's? Yep. Or yep. you know, by certain restaurants that are on this side of town versus the other side. Absolutely. Of town. And as long as you know River Street and Stadium Drive and and all those places, yeah. you know King four, Street. Yeah. You got four twenty-one. You got three twenty-one. You got one hundred five, and you got River Street. Now, does two twenty-one turn into four twenty-one? Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cuz I, I saw a sign that's like 421 and 221 and I'm like now I'm lost. So now yeah, you're also <laughs> now you're talking about like the area around the Ash County interchange where you there's there's that area 421 and then the other direction and then 4 and then 321 turns into goes down toward Tennessee and it's it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. But if you're staying within the town limits of Boone, if you know 321, 421, 105 and River Street, you, I think yeah, you'll right. be you'll you'll figure your way around. Yeah. Well, y'all need to ask me at least one question that I can get right. I'm pretty competitive. You got the food so. one right. I think. I think you were good. Well, on there's that. no wrong answer <laughs> yeah, for that. So. <laughs> True. Okay. Good. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, what's another one we can ask here? I'm trying to think of a softball with a guarantee a correct answer <laughs> on. <laughs> You're setting me up if I get it wrong. <laughs> be a setter, Brent. Hiking, do a nice back, hiking, yeah. do a nice back set. hiking or skiing? <laughs> um, hiking. I've actually never been skiing okay. in my life, but I'm excited to go. There's a, you know, when I was growing up, it was scary to go skiing because the potential of like, oh my gosh, what if I tear my ACL and then I lose my scholarship? That was always my fear, which was probably a little irrational. But um, having never been growing up in the Midwest, growing up in Indianapolis, it's pretty flat. So um, we didn't really vacation much <laughs> to the mountains as a family. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to go. So I will say hiking. Okay. Okay. Q 
can you do, are you familiar with any landmarks around the area? Potentially, like touristy landmarks. What's the what? What is name name a famous mountain? Because Grandfather it, Mountain. There you go. Yes. Okay, that's what I was gonna go with. Thank you. I think unbeaten. What what is what is one of the um what is the movie that has? Oh here you go. What is the movie that has a shot from Grandfather Mountain? Actually, it's a very famous movie. Um, See, I'm Academy Award movie. Horrible. What, was it Best Picture? I don't know, but I'm horrible at movie trivia in general, so I'm out. I don't Tom know. Hanks I is in you. the movie. Tom Hanks Tom is in Hanks. the movie. I don't know. One of the greatest soundtracks of all time. You're killing me. You're, I, I can't even answer because <laughs> right. I might. He had an SEC tie. He had an SEC tie. <laughs> yes, he played football for an SEC program. <laughs> in the movie? Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, I told you I'm horrible at movie okay. trivia. Forrest Gump. Oh, all right. so obviously in the in the in 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 the scene where he starts running across the country. In one of the montage sections, there is a short clip no of him running up the the trail, running up the, awesome. one, of, one of the roads that takes you to like the, the the summit parking lot up there. There's a there's a quick shot of him running up that road at. Grand all right, Bottom I'm going to get off to watch Forrest Gump again. It's, it's a classic. For <laughs> so sure. there you go. That's all I got. I think, <laughs> I think that can wrap up our, our trivia session. I think anything anything you want to know that. about Boone, you can quiz us. And okay, maybe... <laughs> we'll do that off the air. Yeah. Off the air. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, thank you. You've been very generous with your time. I know that you have a lot to accomplish before. Uh, before, gosh, it's only going to be a few months now before people come back on campus yeah. for summer and fall and then you'll be into your first season but congratulations on, on being here it's so great to get to know you for a little while and hope that we can do more of this stuff absolutely soon. so love to um good luck on the abcs of boone and your restaurant <laughs> tour thank you please send me suggestions i'm gonna need some help all right we will <laughs> well brett a lot of fun talking to her and you know, we, we could have sat in there for for another 30 minutes to an hour because um, she's just she she's got this energy and, and that that you love to see. And, um, you know, the thing about coaches is it, it is such a grind and sometimes it can be difficult, but you can see for someone like her who went through the grind as a player to get to a level, an elite level in college, in college volleyball, that she really does embrace it. It doesn't feel like a grind to her. It feels like uh, fun and joy and competition. And she loves all these things. And, and I just, I, I can't wait to see what it looks like with a, with a Sarah Rumbley Noble coached volleyball program when she gets it rolling this fall. Yeah. She kind of gives a little bit of insight into how you process that transition from being an elite high level player to, okay, my next step, if I'm going to go into coaching, then becoming an assistant coach of making that transition. And then, okay, I'm in a, a successful assistant coach. There might be opportunities for me to be a head coach and just how you kind of process that transition and just kind of just the way her mind has worked um, through those different steps that she's taken, you know, personally and professionally. It was cool to see. And just when she was hired, you know, it's, it's it was fun to see on social media. Just you could get a sense for the respect that the volleyball world had for her from just across the country of knowing like, yeah, this is a person we know and value and um, that app's getting a good one and felt the same way about as she's added to the staff. I mean, Connor Zimmick and um, Chanel Hargraves, just those two individuals, the same kind of respect of that they are bringing quality people. And, you know, certainly you know, haven't, haven't towed the line and played in a competitive match or anything like that, but, but uh, encouraging signs and definitely uh, fun to get to know them a little bit. <laughs> Um, so that was our interview with Sarah Rumley Noble. Um, Adam, I guess we can roll into our next interview. We have um, Tony Gravely, an App State wrestling alum who 
you know, grew up in the Martinsville area and was a wrestler here about a decade ago, won SoCon championships, but um, you've been paying attention. You've probably seen him now in the, making headlines in the UFC world with some of his victories and ESPN appearances. And, um, you know, for it's it struck me the SoCon championships last year in wrestling, you go into a locker room and when the guys have the downtime before that, like, what are they watching? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily the NFL or NBA or anything like that. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of those com- kind of combat sports like, you know, UFC and um, mixed martial arts, stuff like that, that almost without a fault, the, the, those guys are super interested in. So the transition to that makes sense <laughs> for some of these guys in that world, but it's cool to get to chat with Tony. Yeah, it, it really is. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to hear his story. And I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy how he's made this transition as we talk to him about it. But, you know, I guess maybe it's naive to think this, but in terms of like, where can you take your, a career as a college wrestler and, and those skills to, to a professional life. And you might think, well, maybe you could try to make it in professional wrestling. And we've, we've seen uh, Denzel Desjarnet and another, another former wrestler of the year. We've seen him, try to make a career in the pro wrestling space. Right. And he's still, he's still grinding at that, but I guess I never really thought, but it makes a lot of sense that mixed martial arts could be another path for someone that's done this and has accumulated those types of skills in college. So a um, few different ways that we can do this. And this is really our first example of somebody who has, who has gone on this route um, after being a successful college wrestler at app state. So that's, that's the setup. Let's go to our interview with Tony Gravity. All right, we're excited to have Tony Gravely as one of our February interview guests. Um, you know, Tony Russell here at App State, a two-time conference champion, is doing big things in the UFC world um, with some national notoriety. You may have seen him on ESPN this month. Um, Tony, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are things going? Thank you guys for having me. Things are great. You know, can't complain at all. I'm uh, living the dream. <laughs> I, I have a very important question real quick. Brett, because we were trying to schedule this interview with Tony. Um, we're, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, and he said, I'm good after this time because I've, I'll be working out up until this time. So I want to know, what does a workout routine <laughs> look like for Tony Gravely? Um, you know, every, every day is a little bit different, but, you know, there, there's some there's some workouts where it's more just drilling and then you have um, a lot of lagos today was actually um, I drilled earlier this morning did some jujitsu drilling and then um, I actually had wrestling right afterwards so we we usually wrestling uh, we start just kind of like a wrestling practice like a college wrestling practice do some live drilling I'm gonna do some drilling like hard drilling and then a lot of live goes so today um, we did we did a lot of live goes uh, coach, coach Steve Mako. I'm not sure if you guys know who Steve Mako is, but he's a, he's an Olympian, uh, Olympian wrestler. And he wrestled at, um, Iowa and Oklahoma state. I think he was a four-time NCAA finalist, two-time champion. So re- really, big name for, for wrestling, you know? So, uh, it's cool to have him as a coach, but, uh, he, he, uh, he ran the workout today and other days are different. You know, usually, um, most days, like in the morning, you'll come in and you'll do, most time I do end up doing maybe like two different workouts. So the first one, um, you know, one's usually more drilling. And then the next one is 
more lobs. So one time it would usually be like uh, striking, drilling, and then like maybe like grappling, grappling, drilling, and then some lob goes. But um, in the afternoon, again, uh, come back in, do some, mostly in the afternoon, it's almost always drilling. A lot of the harder stuff is early in the day, but throughout the day, I mean, I might, I could work out from anywhere between five to eight hours a day. So it's, you know, kind of like a full-time job. Well, it is a full-time job, so. Well, we can see you, or listeners can't see you. You're rocking an App State wrestling shirt, so you're off to a great start. I'm trying to figure out if we should work backward on this interview or, or kind of go some chronological <laughs> order because it's, it's pretty interesting all around. Um, I guess we'll start off, maybe we'll kind of your App State connections first of, you know, you're from, I think, Martinsville, Virginia, and I guess maybe – introduce the audience to maybe kind of how you ended up at App State and um, just the success you had there as a wrestler. Yeah, um, I, I wrestled App. I, I, I was kind of late on my recruiting as far as where to go. You know, I, I went on a couple of different trips. Um, I went, I think I went to, I went to NC State. I went to UVA on recruiting trips. Um, and then I, I think my last trip was, was App. And honestly, I had never, never heard of App. And uh, I think I, I went to senior nationals and Bentley talked to me and I was like, you know what, I, I'm going to, I think my last one was actually supposed to be at either, I think it was UNC was going to be my, my third. And I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go to App and give it a try. I've never heard of App. I had never heard of App because I'm uh, not a book, not a big football fan, but I know about um, App being Michigan. That was like the biggest thing. So every time we would go somewhere that everybody else knew App because of that, you know, but I never watched football. So but I went and uh, I was like, oh, this is Division One. This is a beautiful place. I, I went. I knew nothing about it. I just showed up. I was like, this place is beautiful. Like not too far from home. It was it was kind of, you know, it was perfect. So I chose that. And, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of great people, had, had uh, my ups and downs career wise, which is, you know, it's how it goes. Um, but, you know, overall, it, it was a great experience. And uh, I got to um, not only did I get to. Um, win conference and compete at the NCAA tournament, but I got to experience it at the same time as um, when we had two All-Americans the same year, uh, Kyle Blevins and Austin Trotman. They got uh, Austin got third, Kyle got fourth, and it was a cool experience to be there when they did that. So that that's actually one of the biggest, um, even though that wasn't my accomplishment, it was probably one of the my most memorable moments at App. Yeah, it was 10 years ago, 2012. Just That's an incredible crazy. accomplishment yeah, there. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to – I guess we're all feeling old on, on that a little bit. But only you can be still at, a, at the peak of your competitive nature at this point compared to the rest of us. Um, yeah, just what kind of stands out, some memories you have from wrestling at App and, you know, your conference champ at, I think, 125 pounds in 2010 and 2012, but just what your time in Boone was like. Yeah, we um, so my freshman year, um, was true freshman, I won conference, um, got to experience what it was like, you know, to, you know, as a, as a kid, as a wrestler, not, not necessarily as a kid, but as a wrestler, you know, you, you watch NCAA tournament and you, you know, you, you see it and you're like, man, this is, I, I gotta be there, you know, I never, never watched it. So my first, ex I never watched it live. So my first experience there was me wrestling there. So it's kind of like, you know, a, a big, kind of like a wow experience you know the first time I was there it was kind of like just happy to be there you know um I I did you know I did okay at the tournament I think I went like one and two the first year um you know second second season wasn't my best season kind of had some uh um some some ups and down up and down moments you know it wasn't my best season my my 
junior season was a um, it was a pretty good season overall. I, I won conference again, got to got to uh, make it to NCAA tournament again, and that's when I got to you know experience Austin and and Kyle and them uh, all American. And my senior year I actually didn't wrestle. I got to the point where I was um, just kind of tired of the uh, you know wrestling's a grind, man. It's a grind, especially at um, you know, division one level, it's, it's the highest other than the Olympics, you know, and I got to the point where, um, I think I kind of set my goals too low and I kind of fizzled out and, and just was kind of tired of the grind. And then, uh, you know, I remember in my head when, when you, when you stop doing something or when you, when you going through something really rough, you kind of, you know, you look ahead and you're like, man, I can't wait till I don't have to do this anymore. I'm never going to work out again. You know, you're kind of bitter in a way. And then uh, here I am now back on the same grind, you know, actually a harder grind now. So, you know, it's not necessarily harder because college wrestling is still the hardest thing I think there is to do. It's it's different from from uh, fighting. It's a little different. But, um, you know, I, I got to the point where you know, I just, you know, just being immature, you know, I've matured more throughout the year and got the opportunity to um, look back and almost feel like I took those years for granted. And that kind of helped me when it comes to fighting. It helped me um, be more appreciative of the years of athleticism that I still have and the drive and using the lessons that I learned through wrestling the app, the ups and downs, using those. Um, and it helped actually helped me a lot in my fighting we really want to get into to your your burgeoning fighting career. Um, I, we're both really fascinated about that. But I do want to ask you one more question about App, which is outside of wrestling, which you spent so much time r- with with trying to be the best that you could at App Wrestling. But outside of that, what are the things that you enjoy doing in Boone at App, the things that you look back on, you're like, man, I really miss doing this in Boone. Uh, we, we did, we went to a lot of, uh, like in the summertime was like one of the best times, you know, we, we had to come back to the summer to wrestle and help with wrestling camp. So well, to practice and help with camp. So, um, you know, once we got free time outside of the room, we went to all kinds of different places like triple falls. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of different water holes to go to, you know, I, honestly, I don't even remember the names of all of them and I don't remember how we got there, but <laughs> they were cool, you know? outdoorsy stuff it, it's there's so much stuff to do you know a lot of things i don't remember the different places we hiked um but i, re- I remember just um the moments of doing it and it's a lot of stuff outdoors and then um i'm not big on skiing and, and uh you know snowboarding but we we'd actually just go sledding that was fun J- just like we would we would hop in the car drive around and just find different hills to sled on which sounds like you know it's really kitty but it, it, it's a lot of fun so there's, there's a ton of stuff to do and honestly um that certain things like that kind of sold me on that because i didn't know about you know i didn't know much about that and just the the how beautiful it was um you know, the, the different things there were to do on top of, um, you know, it, it being a division one program, um, you know, that those things like that are, are what made me, what really made me want to, uh, go to that. I think sledding can be easier on the knees than skiing. So that's probably, probably a good <laughs> choice. Um, well, there's probably a lot of ground to cover from, you know, being finished with college where you are at now <laughs> so there's probably not a succinct way to, to handle all that but i know you know just watching our guys in the wrestling room you know if they're if they're not wrestling it looks like they're checking out ufc mma you know you no know, we you know denzel um from from app state you know is 
you know, taking time where he's pursuing you know, a career in professional wrestling. And just, I know there are different outlets for how one can connect to the other, but kind of share, you know, the journey that you've taken of, you know, how you kind of got involved in this. And I'm sure there's just, it's probably not as easy as it would sound, or maybe as a natural progression. <laughs> I actually, I was actually into, into MMA for a long time. So growing up before I even started wrestling, um, I used to watch UFC and it was back when MMA like first came around before it actually got like legalized in most States, you know, it was, it was uh, pretty brutal from the start. There weren't, weren't any weight classes, things like that. But I remember as a kid watching that with my dad, cause my dad taught Taekwondo for, you know, as long as I can remember, you know, when I was born, he'd already, you know, uh, practice for a long time and he was already teaching. So, um, he probably taught for, I think he doesn't teach now, but he probably taught for 30 plus years, you know? So, um, growing up, that's kind of what I was into was, was fighting and, um, martial arts. So, um, that kind of led me into wrestling. So I was, I, I, I usually say, you know, I was a fighter before I started wrestling, you know, in, in my head, you know? So that, that was one thing that, uh, what always wanted to do, so I started wrestling, um, wrestled through as far as I could. And then I finally, um, you know, I, I had, I had almost given up on the opportunity to compete anymore. You know, I was like, Oh, I'm just gonna, you know, live the normal life, get to be like a normal person, you know? And then, uh, I realized that that wasn't really for me, you know? So, um, I did that for a while. I actually uh, worked as a construction project manager for, um, for a couple of years. And then while I was, while I was, um, working as a project manager, I was like, I, I was like, I, I've always wanted to go to a gym. I always wanted to practice MMA, MMA and stuff. So finally, um, ended up at a gym, um, in Christiansburg, Virginia, um, which is actually a team, um, in high school, we actually used to wrestle Christiansburg a lot. And, uh, so it's kind of weird in there and got to see a lot of people that I actually wrestled in high school and stuff. But, uh, ended up there and, and I fell in love with it and uh, just never looked back. I was going to say, when you start at that, does it feel like, all right, like I, I feel like I already have promise at this or do you feel lost or what are those first couple sessions, first couple weeks like as you, as you make a transition like that? Honestly, the first couple weeks were, I was just so out of shape. <laughs> like I was, I had done anything, any physical activity. Cause like I said, I was like, I'm done fighting. I mean, I'm, I'm done wrestling. I'm done working out. I'm just going to eat and be fat and happy, be like a normal person. I'm not working on anymore. So like <clears throat> the first couple of weeks were just, I was exhausted just from, just from doing stuff. You know, I ha hadn't worked out in years, but um, overall, I mean, wrestling in my, in my eyes, wrestling is the most important um, when it comes to like self-defense or, or fighting in general. So I already kind of had a head start in that department. So that helps out a lot, but you know, it, it's when you, when you think, from the start and still to this day, when you think about, when I think about fighting, I think about it just like I was preparing for a wrestling match. Cause when I wrestled, I always thought of, of a wrestling match as fighting without punches and kicks and things like that. So the same mentality, you know, it's, it's regardless, I don't want to lose this hand to hand combat against this other guy. So regardless of whether they're fighting or we're just wrestling, I want to win. I want to be dominant. So, um, you know, it's kind of easy for me to make that transition. And I also had some years of Taekwondo. So um, kind of wasn't um, as hard of a transition for some. And I can imagine if you've never been punched before, kicked before, you know, just stepping into there, that in itself, a lot of wrestlers 
can't uh, don't make it just because um, you can be the best wrestler, but if you um, nobody likes getting hit, but if you can't, you know, navigate around getting hit or understand that you're going to get hit, whether you like it or not, just try your best not to. Um, some people get hit a couple of times. They have bad experiences and they're like, this is it. This, this is done. I'm done. But, uh, you know, luckily I've, I've been able to navigate around getting, getting hurt too bad. So, um, you know, I, I've had some success in wrestling's definitely given me into you know, that success. If I hadn't wrestled, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. That that's the part that fascinates me is, is the, the mental state and having the confidence to know that I can, I can go in here and not be worried about getting Maybe you are worried about it. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to know your mental state of mind when you get into in in into the octagon and 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 you're fighting somebody knowing that I can get kicked in the head and get knocked out at any moment. How do you how do you get past that to where you can be as confident as you need to be to be successful at this? Uh, for me, I mean, I honestly, I, I've been fighting my entire life. Like, I, as a kid, I fought. I, I, I specifically remember I got in my first fight in school in kindergarten. My first fight, I, I got in a lot of fights. I was, I was a pretty bad kid, so like fighting was kind of natural. You know, it was like I fought a lot, especially being smaller than everybody. You know, like fighting is one thing, but it's, it's, it's a lot different when you're actually against another skilled opponent. You know. And like I said earlier, it's 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 not the fact of what they're going to do to me that I'm ever nervous about. If I'm ever nervous, it's because I know how well I do in practice. And you want to duplicate that when you get into um, the octagon. So the same thing with wrestling. You know, no one ever goes out there and thinks like, oh, this guy's going to do this to me. It's like, at least for me, it was always like, all right, I just need to perform to the best of my ability because I know I'm pretty good. And I know I, know I do well in practice. So the same thing for me. And when I go out there, I never worry about getting knocked out or anything like that. I just know that if I do what I'm planning to do first, it's harder for them to do what they want to do, you know? So I just try to um, just be more offensive from the start and make them deal with me rather than me kind of sit back and have to deal with what they do. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's a fight. Anything can happen. You know, you could be winning and lose. I've been in that situation. You know, I, my last, not this last fight, but the fight before that, actually, uh, I dropped the dude. And um, at the end of the first round, you know, if I had, you know, if I had five, ten more seconds, probably would have finished the fight. Next round, I come out, I get dropped and finished. So, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's, it's almost like life. You know, you can, you can be prepared. You can be the most prepared ever that you could possibly be. And it just sometimes it doesn't work in your favor, but you just got to learn to go with it and be accept what happens and just know that in the future, you're going to do the best you can to learn from that experience and not let it happen again. You don't just, I guess, end up on ESPN talking to Joe, being interviewed by Joe Rogan by accident, just logistically when you start pursuing that, um, how does it, how does it work to, to make those steps to where, you keep climbing and coming through the ranks to be able to have the opportunities that you have now. <laughs> At the start, I honestly didn't know. I just, <clears throat> I started fighting um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in the UFC. And, and I don't know if anybody like anybody else really believed it from the start. I did, you know, but it, it was kind of one of those things where you take it one fight at a time. And I, from the start, like, from the gym that I was training at tech MMA in Christiansburg, no one had ever, you know, been to the UFC or, um, you know, been, been, had the opportunity to be on a bigger promotion. So 
I just know, I just knew that if I kept winning, eventually I'd get that opportunity. And I, you know, I fought all up and down the East coast and it's kind of just like wrestling. I wrestled all up and down the East coast, um, all over the world, all over the, not the world, all over the country, you know, getting those opportunities, getting my name out there. And it's kind of the same way, you know, I've, I've competed, I competed in fighting all over the United States. And when, as, as long as you're, when you compete, as long as you're winning, it's easy for your name to get circulated. And, you know, I just started, I went through, I went through a rough patch. Like I said, um, <clears throat> same thing happened to app. I, I had had my ups and downs and those are experiences, things that I experienced before. So, you know, there was a time where um, I had this idea of being the UFC. I think I lost like two. I, at one point I had lost like three out of my last four fights so I had, you know, in my head had gotten to the point where, you know, if I don't, I remember thinking one match specifically, one fight specifically, if I don't win this, like I'm, I'm done. This is, this is like the, the end of my, my goal, my dream of being in the UFC and, and I won. So I just kept going and going and going. And um, I actually was one of the, there's different ways to get signed to the UFC. You can, you can have like a big manager, be from a big gym and, uh, you know, kind of get get some notoriety through that, you know, I didn't have either of those at the time. I wasn't from a big gym, didn't have a big manager. Um, I just won. I kept winning and kept winning. And I finally, um, you know, the, the way, another way to get notarized, uh, notoriety is to, you know, there, there are all kinds of different promotions. So there's, uh, you know, like UFC Bellator, 1FC. Those are like the highest ones that people can think of. Those are like, UFC is like the NFL. So to say of, uh, of uh of mma so <clears throat> i just knew that if i won you can you can get titles for different promotions um i, I won a couple of titles and um through winning those titles i got opportunities i uh, got the opportunity to fight on what's called dana white's contender series where um, they bring other talent from you know that are close to the same level at the regional level from across the country some in a, in another country sometimes but um they have you fight and um, just because you win doesn't mean that you're going to get a get a, a UFC contract. You know, you could win. I've seen people win and not get a contract. That what they wanted was exciting, exciting fights. They wanted people to look for finishes. And uh, you know, fortunately, I, I got the opportunity and I took advantage of it. I won, got a finish, and uh, got a UFC contract. So um, I don't know if that really answered your your question. That was my path, but there's you know, it's yeah. it's. It's it's a it's a long journey, and it and especially if you if you come from a smaller gym with like um, with small management, it, it's hard to do, you know. So honestly, um, before I even got signed to UFC, I had like twenty five fights, which is a lot for someone to finally get signed to UFC. Because nowadays there there are people that have six fights that are getting signed, ten fights, you know. So. Um, but I had 25 fights and, but, um, I remember at the time I was thinking, um, like some time ago, I wanted to get signed, but I'm glad it took so long because it took that development to get there. So now that I'm here, um, I'm looking to stay here. A lot of guys, they, they get here and, uh, having six fights, 10 fights, they, they lose and they, they get kicked out, you know, they're not prepared, but you know, I've been there, I've been battle tested, and uh, I understand what it takes to to compete at a high level, and uh, so now I'm, I'm here to stay. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about, especially at the UFC. Like there there's an entertainment value to it in terms of getting signed to a contract. So um, I I'm just I just like to know 
you know, now that you're signed with UFC, what, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for you? Does that guarantee you anything? Um, and then kind of what's next? Like, what are you, what are you building up to next in, 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 um, in your career? Yeah. So, you know, now I'm signed to UFC, the thing is, is when you get to the UFC, it, it's not like, uh, there, there are always people, it's just like a job, just like a normal job. Right. So if, if I'm, I'm in the UFC, but there are so many other guys that want to be in my spot. So if I'm not competing and I'm not winning, they could, you know, they can get rid of me and get someone else that's, that's winning and that is better, you know? So um, just because I'm here doesn't mean it's, you know, like I'm, I'm set, you know, I, I have to keep competing and keep, and keep showing that I deserve to be here and uh, keep winning more than anything, you know? So, um, but for me, man, it's, it's a dream come true because, as a child, I watched, I watched this on TV and now I'm, I'm in here and I'm, I get my opportunity to, to live out my dream as a kid, you know? So, um, for me, it, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a big sense of pride just, just to get to do this and get to, um, cause I, I know some people, I have friends that, you know, they, they live through me, you know, they, they, uh, <clears throat> they, they watch me fight and they, they just love the fact that, that, I get to do this and see where I come from a small town and doing something like this. And they love it. So I, you know, I fight for them. I fight for my family and uh, you know, I, I, I love what I get to do. Go back to, I guess, you know, roughly a month ago, you know, your UFC 270, you win by unanimous decision, huge television audience. What is that like, like for you? Um, I'm sure it's both a celebration, but it's also like, you know, this isn't, I'm not done. Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't the last thing. Like this isn't the final chapter on everything. And just how you kind of balance the excitement of being part of a moment like that with so much notoriety, but also knowing like that there's more work to do after that. You know, it's, it's an amazing experience. And it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, like this fight in particular was awesome. was, was amazing in itself because there's been two years where I hadn't fought in front of a crowd, you know, once COVID hit, you know, there are no crowds. Most of the fights are at the UFC Apex. So there's, there's most of the fights for the UFC Apex. So there's no crowds. So I, I got to be on a, a pay-per-view card with a full live crowd. So that in itself was cool getting to experience. I almost forgot what it was like to, to have so many people there and stuff. So, <clears throat> but you know, getting, getting a deal, it was amazing. And it's, and, and I go back to wrestling, wrestling is the same way you, you win or win or lose, whatever it is, you, you live in that moment, you embrace it, you, you, you feel good. And then, you, you know, you take your time to enjoy it and then it's on to the next, you know? So, you know, I, I've learned that, especially with fighting, cause you never know when you're going to fight again. So, um, you know, you, you could fight, I could get injured and not fight for another two years, you know, something crazy could happen. So I just learned to uh, embrace the, in the situation, you know, live, um, you know, live with it, um, celebrate it, be happy about it, but still um, not be, not be complacent with it. And just know that the next time I go out, you know, I want to be better than I was. And honestly, like I, I'm not necessarily, I don't think that was my best performance at, at the in the last fight. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with the win because a win at this level is big regardless because he, I'm competing against the best fighters in the world. So um, a win in itself is, is a big deal. So uh, I take that win and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to win, especially not necessarily feeling like I did the best, my best 
I, I performed to the best of how I felt, but that wasn't the best me, if that makes sense. So from here on out, man, I'm, I'm just looking to continue to win and, and I'm not ranked yet. And my goal, you know, within the next uh, end of this year, within the next, well, by next year, be, be ranked top 15. And, uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I, my ultimate goal is to be a UFC champion. So, and I know that's a, that's a tough goal, as a, especially in my division. Uh, the Bantamweight division has a lot of, a lot of really good fighters. And I'm just looking to slowly climb my way to the top until I get my opportunity to, uh, you know, become a champion. You, you kind of answered my next question, which is what do you, what is the ultimate goal for, for someone like you? So I'm glad you, 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 you mentioned that and we're certainly pulling for you along the way. I am curious now that you're fighting in UFC and you know, that, that brings a, a certain amount of exposure, you know, more people are watching you fight and you're, you're like Brett mentioned earlier, you're, you're doing post-fight interviews with, with Joe Rogan, who is a staple on that coverage for UFC. How has this UFC contract and fighting on these platforms where more people are paying attention, more people are noticing you in, in what ways has that changed your life? Honestly, it's, you know, it's it changed a lot mostly because I remember before, before I made it to UFC, um, what people don't understand is before you get to the UFC, when you, when you fight, it's hard to make a living off of the money that you get from just like regional fights because they don't have the notoriety. They don't have the, the, the wide stage. So, um, you know, in general, you, you get more money and it's almost like you get to finally make a living off of this, you know, because, um, you know, now it's, I'm, I'm able to have some stability, some financial stability, which, which obviously feels great, you know? Um, but, um, Wait, what was it? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I kind of, no, you're, you're on the right track. I just wanted to know, like, how does, how did this change your life? And certainly the, the financial part of it is a big, is a big aspect of it. Yep. I, I guess I'm also curious, you know, like, do you, have, have you made other connections with people or, or now all of a sudden you've started working out or seeing different people or just, you know, schmoozing with other folks that you never thought you would ever be around? Yeah. So, so yeah, like I said, the, you know, with the, with the financial, that that's a big deal. Um, the other is just, just, um, by itself, just showing other people that doesn't matter where you come from, that you can, you can do big things like this. So, um, and, and also they're, they're all there before, um, you know, I, I just recently moved to, uh, American top team two years ago, almost two years ago now. So, which is one of the, I, th- I think is the best um, MMA gym in the world. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of fighters that I, that I looked up to um, as when I was younger and some are still fighting, for example, like Andre Alowski's one um, a lot of, a lot of the fighters that, that are there. Um, I looked, I looked up to, and I thought were great fighters before I even started fighting. There's, there's a ton of people and I get to, I get to uh, train with these guys every day. I get to, um, they're my friends, you know, so that in itself is cool. And, um, but honestly, you know, all, while, even though I'm living a dream and all this is, is, is great. I try to stay the same person that I've always been, because I think that's what people like about me is that I've always been the same person. So, um, so I have the same friends, just got more friends now, you know, more spread out, but, uh, you know, I, I just, the main thing it's done for me is it's, it's helped. Um, if anything, I think it's helped motivate some other people, um, to, to still reach for those big goals, even though, you know, you're not from a big area or you're not from a big gym, 
you know, hopefully they can look at what I do and say, oh, well, Tony did this, so I can do it too, you know. Certainly MMA and UFC is very popular. It continues to grow in popularity. Um, for some of the audience, and including myself, that I'm not, you know, super knowledgeable about kind of the ins and outs is as easily as maybe a UFC for dummies or MMA for dummies that um, you could educate me and maybe some others, just like, you know, you, you step in there, just the different skill sets and the different goals of, you know, how you accomplish winning. And obviously wrestling is part of it. Um, there's a lot of different other facets to it that, you know, the wrestling experience helps, but, you know, just the other, the other skills you talked about of, um, if you could just kind of wrap that in a bow of, you know, just how that looks to maybe a novice who's watching it for the first time. Yeah. So MMA, MMA is it's what I've learned is MMA is it's, it's its own thing. You can be a good striker. You can be a good wrestler, good grappler. And, but there's that middle ground in between the striking to the wrestling, to the, to the jujitsu, there's that middle ground. MMA is, is what meshes everything together. It's what makes the transitions look well. And it's a lot to it. You know, it's so much involved that, um, you know, I don't think you can ever master it. It's so much. It's constantly evolving too. Just like, just like if you think of one sport in general. So like, for example, wrestling, wrestling is constant, constantly evolving. You know, there's all kinds of different styles of wrestling. Same thing with, with striking, same thing with jujitsu. And you have to mesh all these together. And, and every fighter, every individual fighter is different. Everybody has a different style that they that works well for them, that doesn't work for others. Could be a body type thing, could be an athleticism thing, could be a strength thing, speed. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's so much involved that it's, it's hard to master. And it, it's just rest the the way i see it um i think wrestling is the best but even though you know that's the case i can't just be a wrestler i have to be able to do everything you know there's some fights where you bring out one thing more than the other like specifically the last fight i did more wrestling you know that was that was the way to get it done everybody's got their own thing they're good at and you have to be able to adapt to your opponent sometimes in order to um get a win and, uh, you know, some people don't like to see re- just wrestling. Some people don't like to see just striking. But um, sometimes you have to um, rely on one aspect more than the other. Some fights you have to mix them all up. And that's the cool thing about it. And that's one thing I'm learning as I mature as a fighter is just fight IQ, learning when and where to use all these things. There's a million moves you can do. But the, the, that move may not work, may not be applicable in your situation. So you have to know when to use what, and it's a very complicated sport. And I think from the outside, you know, it, it may look, a lot, it may look easy to do if you never physically had to deal with another person, you know, you, you think about what you're going to do to somebody, but you don't think about what they're trying to do to you at the same time. So that, that like resistance and that pressure and that, you know, taking punches and knees and that altercation, it, it's hard to do. And, and at the time, you know, your adrenaline's going, your survival instincts kick in. So it's a, it's a lot involved. And I think, um, I think everybody should, um, you know, not, not even for like a MMA point of view, but just in general, everybody should be able to, um, I think they should do some kind of grappling, wrestling, striking or something just to understand what it's like. I think, for one, that'll help for for um, for self defense, and two, it may keep you from starting a confrontation. You know, if you if you don't know what it's like, then it's I've seen people never been in a fight before, and they think that they're going to do this and this and this if it happens. But 
until you've actually trained, you don't really know what it's going to be like. So, you know, it is a lot involved. And, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people in general, and it seems like a lot of MMA fans are, are kind of, uh, I don't know, they, some of them don't respect like the, uh, what it takes to be a fighter, but uh, it's easy. Like I said, it's easy to do when you've never physically been in a confrontation, but um, you know, it, it, it's a hard thing to do, but it, it's, it's, it's fun. And it's, it's something that everybody should be able to, everybody should be able to um, do some sort of uh, self-defense just to understand what it's like. Well, I maybe have one more for you and then we'll let you wrap up. Appreciate you taking all the time you have today. Um, I just think about the guys on our wrestling team who are interested in a career like this, who follow you, who follow just a lot of different people. And, you know, certainly there are a lot of different paths to take. And um, I don't know if you were able to like get in front of them and have a message of, you know, just to continue their interest in that. What, what kind of message would you have to guys who are still at the college level, we might be college wrestlers who, who want to follow, go down a similar path and have that same interest. You know, I think it's, it, sometimes it can be a little hard for a wrestler, especially at a high level, because um, when you're a high level athlete, you forget what it's like when you weren't the high guy, you know, like you, you have to know, you have to understand that you may be this high in wrestling, but when you start fighting, you're going to have to go down and be the new guy again, you know, in, in certain aspects and, and grappling and, and striking and things like that, uh, jujitsu and striking. But, um, you know, if, if it's what you want to do, you got to commit 100% just like you would wrestling. You know, I think, like I said, wrestling is the best when it comes to getting into it, not only because of being able to control where the fight takes place, but there is a certain amount of resistance and toughness that you've already dealt with throughout your life um, training wrestling. So, um, you know, if, if, if you want to fight, commit to it, be a sponge, take, take in as much as you can, um, as much grappling, as much striking, anything you can. And, um, you know, just use, use your wrestling and until you build your other skills and, um, you know, just, just keep treat it the same as you would wrestling. It's fight as hard as you can, um, be willing to learn and adapt and, um, you know, that's just, that's all, I guess that's pretty much all I got to say, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy, but as a wrestler, you already know stuff like that. So, um, just committing. Well, awesome. It was, it was great to be able to spend some time to, to get to know you personally, your story, and just even just for people like me to educate me more on, on the sport. So awesome for you to take the time and, and talk to us today. No problem. I probably rambled on a little bit, probably without the topic, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lot involved. And, you know, sometimes I, I just start talking, I get off on, I get on a, get on a rant, but uh, you know, I, I appreciate you guys having me on and let me ramble a little bit. Nah, that's, it's a podcast talking. Right. <laughs> if it was silent and quiet and three sentence and three word answers, that that's no good. There's no rules. We can go yeah. as long as we want. No, this is great. You, you clearly have a passion for this. You're really good at it. And, uh, Man, we we look forward to seeing you hopefully accomplish some of the goals you mentioned earlier. Awesome. I think I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. All right. That was our interview with Tony Grabley. Fun to catch up with him. Appreciate him taking the time. He's um, a busy man. I think he had some fun down in uh, to Florida with the, with the fans. So that was, it was good for him to carve out some time, an awesome vacation for him. Um, Adam, you want to wrap up and start with our last one, best one for this month's episode? For my last one, best one, I, I just want to give a shout out and, and wish some good luck to some guys that are already in the NFL and then one who hopes to, to make it in the NFL 
Um, two guys that, that were close when they were playing and play similar positions at linebacker, but, uh, Keem Davis Gaither came. Oh, so close to, to getting a super bowl ring with the Bengals. Wasn't able to play in the game. He's been on, he's been on injured reserve here in the latter parts of the season, but you know, when he was healthy, he was getting some pretty significant reps on defense for the Bengals. So that is certainly a team on the rise with a lot of young talent, but we hope to see Akeem in there making plays for the Bengals when the fall rolls around. And then on March 1st starts the NFL combine in Indianapolis and DeMarco Jackson, after a great performance at the senior bowl is, has been invited to participate in the combine. So that'll be another step for him in his dream to, to get drafted when April rolls around for the NFL. So a couple of big moments, one previously for Akeem Davis Gaither getting to experience the Super Bowl, even though they didn't win. And pretty cool that his hometown of Thomasville actually named Super Bowl Sunday, February 13th, Akeem Davis Gaither Day in uh, Thomasville, North Carolina. So um, still a pretty cool experience for him. And then DeMarco Jackson with the NFL Combine coming up with another chance to turn some heads and improve his stock for the NFL draft. Yeah, pretty cool. The last four Super Bowls. Um, those franchises have had an App State player involved each of the last four years. Um, you know, Keem with the Bengals, Daniel Kilgore with the Chiefs. You know, Ronald Blair was a member of the 49ers. It was hurt um, when they made it. And then A.J. Howard's got that Super Bowl ring. He does. Uh, his time with the Patriots. So, you mentioned DeMarco, Ronald Blair. I think we can call them friends of the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, they've they've been guests on this on this fine platform. So I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't be friends with us after a wonderful experience on the podcast, right? And we'll see if those invites start getting harder and harder to <laughs> start getting some maybes or no's down the road. <laughs> um, for my last one, best one, it seems fitting to do some walk-off wins. You know, that's that's ending it in the right way, right? Um, you know, Emily Parrott had one opening weekend of the softball season, a, a home run um, to be IUPUI. And then uh, wrestling correspondent Brett Strilo comes in with some, some more wrestling of, you know, what a month of February for the wrestling program. I mean, they were at Chattanooga, heated rival for last years, and about everything that could go wrong was going wrong in that duel of just toss-up matches going in Chattanooga's favor um, to where you get to that last the heavyweight division. You know, App, just, App can't just win the match. They have to win it decidedly uh, to pull out that duel, and Michael Burchell gets the, the pin. If you watch the video, when he turns the guy, you just hear this for a road setting, the the loud yells from the bench of like, all right, this is, this is about to happen. Yeah. So to do that, a walk-off win on the road like that with a pin. And then a week later, the scene in varsity gym was, you know, Campbell, another heated rival that especially the last couple of years, it's, I mean, for me, you know, I'm around Georgia Southern app state football, the co- way the coastal thing does like this thing is just as intense with as much kind of contempt <laughs> and intensity, um, you know, on both sides. And so, you know, it comes down, App wins six of 10 matches. Um, they're up 16-13 going to the last match in a packed varsity gym. And, um, you know, Campbell could tie it or win it with depending on the last result. But Caleb Smith gets the overtime takedown. That place erupts. And it essentially secured a, a SoCon regular season title. But then with wins against Davidson and then Presbyterian over this past weekend, another shutout. It's five regular season titles in the last seven years for, for App State Wrestling. And, um, you know, it's obviously in that sport building toward March for conference tournament, NCAA championships, but just what a memorable month for, for that crew. So that is my last one. Best one. That is our episode for February. Thank you for joining us and we will see you again in March. Yes. 
Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.